Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing The Princess and the Rogue by Kate Bateman. So this was just published at the end of 2020 and we did receive a free review copy of this book from NetGalley. This is number three in the Bow Street Bachelor series, and I will say you can tell. Yes, you can tell. I have read the first in the Bow Street Bachelor series, but I don't think Lane has read any of them. No, I have not. All right. Well, and okay, I will say there's only one plot detail where I feel like it matters, and it's not a spoiler. So yeah. your hero, before we get into the jacket, Sebastian Wolf is the second son of a duke but he's the earl in his own right right and i will say i spent the first couple of chapters confused as to why a second son would be given a secondary title and yeah. then they mentioned in passing that he'd been given the earldom outright for services to the crown so just if anybody's jumping into this one as the first one that's like the only plot point that i think is a little bit confusing if you haven't read the previous books yeah i I will say, so the first book is called This Earl of Mine, and I he was not an earl at the beginning of the book, and I spent the entire book thinking that his brother was going to die, and he was going to become <laughs> the earl at the end. <laughs> Luckily, that did not happen. He was, as Lane said, um, raised to the nobility because of his services to the crown. Because <laughs> I think all three of the, what are they called? Bow Street bachelors are sort of in the same position of being non-inheriting children of the aristocracy. Yes. So they've been yes. granted their titles independently. And, like, that's totally fine. It's just not something made explicit early enough in the text that it never caused confusion. Yeah. All right. Let's read the jacket. In The Princess and the Rogue, Bow Street agent Sebastian Wolf, Earl of Mowbray, doesn't believe in love until a passionate kiss with a beautiful stranger in a brothel forces him to reconsider. When the mysterious woman is linked to an intrigue involving a missing Russian princess, however, Seb realizes her air of innocence was too good to be true. Princess Anastasia Denisova has been hiding in London as plain Anna Brown. With a dangerous traitor hot on her trail, her best option is to accept Wolf's offer of protection and accommodation at his gambling hell. But living in such close quarters and aiding Wolf in his Bow Street cases fans the flames of their mutual attraction. If Anna's true, Anya's true identity is revealed, does their romance stand a chance? Could a princess ever marry a rogue? I love when they end with the questions lane because whenever we do the podcast, I should be like, yes, the princess does marry the rogue. <laughs> Okay, I actually think this is a really good jacket for this book, with one exception. Okay, what's the exception? It's what tripped me up when reading it. If Anya's yeah. true identity is revealed, they never refer to her as Anya prior to that moment. Oh, in the jacket, yes. Yeah, so she's Anastasia, hiding as Anna, and then if Anya's true identity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you didn't need to use all three of her names in such close proximity. <laughs> like, it's just a little bit confusing if you don't know what you're getting into. It's true. You could even have just said her, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like, it was an unnecessary point of, wait, okay, you're introducing her nickname and her real name and her alias. 
without explaining which is which. Sounds good. Correct. Yeah, you know. But no, I I agree with you. It's not a bad it's not a bad jacket. You've got a description of them both. Earl Bow Street agent for him, princess in hiding for her. And the conflict, which is she's not being honest about who she is. Bang, bang, boom. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Well, as usual, we wrote our own summaries to see if we could do any better than the jacket. And we base our summaries on a randomly generated number. And for this episode, we generated the number of 39. So I focused on, on one specific aspect of the jacket. So I'll go ahead and start on that. Why settle for just an Earl when you can get one who's also a Bow Street runner, military hero, and gaming hell owner? Anya wouldn't, but Seb, Renaissance man extraordinaire, thinks he's not good enough for a literal princess. I love that, and I think it harkens back to the early days of the podcast when we pointed out how, like, ridiculously over-hobbied yes. or occupationed so many romance heroes and heroines are and Seb Absolutely. really did that taken to the nth degree it, it really is I have to admit when I was reading the um description of just the just the first book in the series which I read first and enjoyed I was like wait so he's an earl and he's a bus street runner and he runs a gaming hall with his buddies you know and how did they meet at Waterloo you know <laughs> well and that's hilarious and I sort of hadn't thought of it but the diversity of qualifications he has are also shared by his two best friends who were clearly the heroes in the previous books so they are all yeah. Earl war hero spy gambling hell runners correct so basically you know that there is basically it is every single historical romance hero rolled into one because like literally that's that's who it is the only one we're missing is like the lower class guy made good so it's the lower class guy become billionaire and you can't have both you know second son of the aristocracy and street rat like you gotta pick one or the right. other you have to pick one or the other so they, she went with nobleman here which is fine that is hilarious. Okay, so my 39-word summary. Princess on the run falls for her rescuer several times over, especially when they have to hide out in his gaming hell. He proves his love for her using a custom-made tiara and perure, so you know we approve. Uh, absolutely, Lane. I will say, when he showed up with this gift, I was like, yes, Sebastian. Uh gifts there are several times in this book when he gives her presents and they are all excellent and i just want to say yep i mean like look do i want to be bought and kept in terms of my agency no in terms of the stuff he gives her absolutely well and the thing is too she is rich in her own right so she doesn't need him to buy and keep her it's just like extra stuff on top so this book had a really intriguing setup which I was a little bit disappointed with some of the execution, but so she is a Russian princess visiting her brother in Paris right before Waterloo mm -hmm. and her brother dies. And so she's left on her own abandoned in Paris. And initially she feels like she has to go back to St. Petersburg on her own. So she's afraid of that travel, but then a nefarious Russian actor confronts her and she realizes she actually has to go like on the run on the run 
And so she's yeah. destroying her tiara. She's sewing jewels into the lining of her quote. She has no one she can trust but her maid. And like, this is the first chapter. I'm spoiling nothing. Yeah. And I thought that setup was really intriguing. I feel like Russia isn't that common in romance mm-hmm. novels. And it's a really interesting historical aristocracy and international player at that time in history. I think the idea of a princess who is young, she's 22 when all of this happens, being so immediately pragmatic is such a testament to her character. Like she literally swallows some of her diamonds on like the logic of at the very least, if everything else is confiscated, like we can get room and board for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Like we go through our own excrement. Like, do I love that visual? No, I do not. But do I love that practicality that I feel like was so indicative of her character so early? Yes. And then simultaneously in the first chapter, she's sexually assaulted. And then you immediately flash forward to London when it sort of becomes a pretty generic woman fallen on hard times living under an assumed identity as part of the working class. Right. And so, like, I feel like there was some wasted potential there that we had this really, what I felt like was novel setup, at least in terms of what we traditionally read within an English romance. Yes. That was immediately compromised into a plot I think we've seen, and that's the first of many tropes you see in this novel. Yes. Yeah, I I agree. I was really interested in the the Russian aspect of it I was never like an amateur of uh imperial Russia but I was interested in it basically because in high school I was obsessed with the Dostoevsky mm-hmm. and I read like everything he wrote and he one of his books is called The Prince so it's about this prince a Russian prince and so it's like I knew a little bit already about Russian nobility and I was like okay well being a princess doesn't necessarily mean she has anything to do with the royal family but it turns out that she is definitely in the royal family. Mm-hmm. She's tenth in the line to the throne. Is that right? That sounds right. <laughs> you know, something like that. She's the so, cousin of the czar. Right. Which you don't have to be to be a prince or, or a princess, you know? It was like the Holy Roman Empire, right? Right. Right, where, like, if your family was in charge of a territory within the empire, you could have the title of hereditary prince or princess, but you were never in line to the czardom. You were just in line to the territorial holdings of your family. Exactly. So I thought it was, just as Lane said, a little bit of wasted potential to to see something a little bit different, a little bit more interesting. So what are some other tropes that you identified in this text, Meg? Well, I mean, the big one for me was what I pointed out in my summary, which is that he's the guy who does everything, right? Mm-hmm. But that it also includes the gaming hell, which I feel like is a trope on its own at this point. Yes, and I would like to add, I call it out later, specifically being abducted from the stables of the gaming hell as a sub Oh my God. We have seen How several many- times over. Why do women always get, why do they always get kidnapped from the stables? Specifically of a gaming hill, but just the stables in general, yes. Yeah, I mean, yes, from a gaming hill, that one I've read more than once, but I've definitely read it other places too. And it's because the horse, the horse is the, 
the women are always going out to visit the horses because they like got upset with something inside so they needed to visit you know or because uh, they're being confined and it's the closest they can get to nature yeah exactly the horses are you know simple creatures that they'll just you know they're good <laughs> I, I, you're right so true <laughs> huh. So as the jacket says, Anastasia Anya Anna is living under a secret identity. Yes. Which yes, secret identity? Okay. Can I criticize this here and now, or should I wait? You do it now. Just do it. Get it off your chest. So her companion, who she traveled with, obviously knows who she is. Mm-hmm. And she obtained employment under the pretenses that she was Anna Brown, but. Very early in the book, when her employer, who's this dowager duchess, suspects she's more than she seems, she comes out with the truth, like, immediately. Like, she's not trying that hard to keep it from people. So I sort of don't understand why having made the decision to tell her employer, she doesn't tell her employer's nephew and her protector. Yeah, I don't really get that myself. Like, at the point which she understands she's outed in the sense that the guy trying to find her is back in England. Mm -hmm. If she's made the decision to sell some people, I don't understand why she's not not more strategic about telling more people to orchestrate an actual plan. Well, and specifically Seb as well. Exactly. He's literally her bodyguard. You know, he's literally the person who's investigating to help her stay safe telling him everything you know right and and if she's willing to tell some people why not be willing to tell him i get that if she's like literally telling no one and she's just made this blatant judgment i still wouldn't necessarily understand her reluctance to tell him but at least it'd be like a principle she was adhering to yeah to tell the dowager duchess without much prompting but then hide it going forward didn't make much sense to me yeah no i agree uh so another trope they meet in a brothel, but she's not a prostitute. Okay, I would like to group this into any sort of mistaken for a prostitute trope. Yeah, I I think that's a good idea. <laughs> mistaken for a prostitute. <laughs> like, meet in a brothel, we've read more than once, but I think we have read mistaken for a prostitute a lot. Even more than that. <laughs> yeah. As Meg alluded to her in her summary and the jacket, he's an aristocrat who secretly works for Bow Street, which if romance novels are to be believed, like half of Bow Street's force was secretly aristocrats, even though aristocrats (laughs) at this time couldn't actually be arrested. (laughs) I love it. It's 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 so true. You know, what was the one we just recently read? Dangerous by Amanda Quick. Remember, he was the one who was helping out Bow Street just for fun. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And as I also alluded to in my summary, he's just not he feels like he's just not good enough for her. So, you know, when she's under when he doesn't know she's a princess, he's like, oh, maybe this could work out. But when he finds out she's a princess, he's like, oh, well, who would want to marry a freaking super rich earl? No, he thinks who would want to marry the second son of a duke? And I want to be like, dude, you are an earl now in your own right. Like, he still was conceiving of himself as this man who was stood to inherit nothing. And that was just, like, he's not only wealthy, he's titled in his own right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, 
his inferiority complex was bizarre. Well, and honestly, like if you're a princess uh, that who is independently wealthy in your own right as well, I feel like one of the perks is you can kind of marry a guy who's not as rich as you as long as he's titled, which he was, you know? It but. was just very strange. Like, it wasn't, and it would have been one thing if he was saying, like, okay, I even know who she is. She's the czar's cousin. She is going to be forced to make a politically advantageous match. And as just a member of the peerage, I don't count. But that, like, sure. It, it, like, she outranks him. Like, I'm not yeah. trying to deny that. And I'm not trying to say that couldn't have been a legitimate complex. But the way he conceptualized it, that being the right. second son rather than the Duke in his own right, was the problem. Like, no, his brother is equally unsuitable. Right. By exactly. that metric. Like, exactly. It was just, it was a little bit incongruous to me. It was a, li- it was a little bit of forced conflict, in my opinion. They had plenty of other conflict that they had to work out, you know? Right. So I, I felt like they didn't need, they didn't need this, this trope as well. At one point, she cross-dresses, and he's like, oh, my God, pants. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, whatever. Well, this is – it's a trope that I like, but I also am starting to feel like it's a little bit problematic. Mm-hmm. So uh, there is a masked event that she attends actually dressed up as a prostitute so she gets mistaken for a prostitute again (laughs) but this time not by him this time not by him he knows who it is i wish uh, so one of the things that happens at this masked event is she's she's tasked with listening for russian and the risk of this event is that she'll be identified Mm -hmm. and i sort of didn't understand so there's there's a, a big bad tracking her the same guy who assaulted her in chapter one he's the guy she's on the run from like it is this is not a spoiler he is looking for her and I sort of didn't understand how he found her I didn't understand either Lane I didn't get and it I, that's, that's still a I, mystery to me I kept waiting for something about this mass event to be referenced or something about like something else in the text to come up Mm-hmm. And it sort of felt like he found her because it was convenient in the plot for him to find her. And look, I get that that's always the case, but I feel like a couple of lines of expository dialogue would have been really useful in this context. Yeah. It would have helped a little. I agree. There is the quintessential temperamental French chef who she's able to pacify with her knowledge of French. Well, and who is used as comic relief. I feel like all of those things are so typical. It's absolutely. And it, it doesn't even, like, I don't, whatever. It doesn't even bother me anymore, you know? <laughs> um, Although, it's, it doesn't have to be French. Um, remember, we there was an Italian one, too. In one it's of the usually French. It is usually French. It is usually French. But that sinister one I would class in the same trope. <laughs> Fair. So she's a sad, tragic orphan. Don't even really feel like that's worth talking about. Um, and this actually, so I had this one moment in this book where I was really reminded of It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. So you know when Mary leans over the counter and whispers into his bad ear, I'm going to marry you, George Bailey? 
Yeah. So there's a similar moment when um, it's Zeb is deaf in one ear from Battle Wounds, and she whispers the truth into his bad ear. Correct. And I feel like, look, I don't know if it's a true trope, but if I'm thinking of It's a Wonderful Life while reading it, I'm putting it in there. It's fair. It's fair. Uh, Seb has an aunt who's in matchmaking. So no matchmaking mama, but matchmaking older lady in the family. Yeah, neither of them have any living parents. Yes. And I will say, I think this trope is true for, like, almost every rake we've ever read, which is more than 50% of the romance novels we've reviewed on this podcast. <laughs> the scandalous rake who's willing to sleep with anyone and everything who meets whatever arbitrary standard he's set is celibate, and he doesn't know why the second he lays eyes on his lady love and the heroine. He's just not satisfied with anyone else. This one girl just he can't get her off his mind. <laughs> Like, literally in this book, Seb is in a, bro- in a brothel with an erection and just leaves. Well, he hires he hires someone, and he, he can't go through with it. He's like, you can keep the money. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's hilarious, and I love it. And, of course, I want all my heroes to be just so obsessed with the heroine. But it is hilarious at this point. It was really funny. So what did you think of the book in general, Lane? So I thought it was kind of a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. I thought the overall plot with her being a Russian princess on the run and him as her rescuer from various close scrapes was sort of generic fun adventure romance novel. Yeah. I thought some of the details are where it lost me. So like one of his friends is who I assume is a hero in the previous book. That's about how I feel. Like, I assume one of the heroes in the previous book is just mentioned in passing that his battle wound was losing a portion of his peripheral vision. <laughs> like, what the fuck kind of war injury is that? <laughs> well, part of the part of the thing in this series is that they are heroes, they are war heroes, and they they do have war wounds and, you know, leftover trauma from the battle, but it's not obvious. So they don't get fawned over by ladies. Right. These aren't like, the, this isn't the stars trope in any capacity. No, no, not at all. It's like specifically not the stars, the scars trope. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I would say it's, it's a pretty basic romance novel. So it's good if you want to read a pretty well-written romance novel that's not going to offend you too much, I would say this will do it for you. On the other hand, there was nothing that I absolutely loved and thought was really, really awesome and, and thought was really great about this book. Uh, you know? uh, I love the depiction of the jewelry and the clothes so much. If well, you're in it for the clothes porn and the jewels porn, this book did go above and beyond in those capacities. The the jewel porn in this book was definitely top notch. I agree. I mean, this the 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 book opens with her smashing up her tiara. She just like this book appreciates diamonds. Yes, it does, and we appreciate diamonds too. So that that was that was on the you know the pro scale that definitely weighed. Correct. Just what I just want to say, like. Do I agree that this plot failed to captivate me above and beyond being a historical romance novel that I enjoyed? Yes, except the damn diamonds. <laughs> except for the jewels. <laughs> I, I think Lane and I both had different details that we were a little bit confused about. 
For me, it was the whole Russian aristocracy thing. So not only is she a Russian aristocrat, and I felt like I wanted to know more about the Russian aristocracy and like find out a little bit more about that. And we didn't get a lot of it, except that she's super rich, um, even though what she's been away from home for a year or two years. 18 months. 18 months. Oh, so it's, there you go. In between a year and two years. <laughs> yeah, she's been in London for a year and she was in Paris for six months before her brother died. Right. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so apart from all of that stuff that I would have found really interesting, you know, like the, there's like serfdom still exists, you know, mm-hmm. like maybe find out. Um, how, why is she so rich? You know, maybe we could have uh, looked into that a little bit and, you know, maybe she was on, she could have been on the run because anyway, a progressive social issue, but she wasn't. Basically what makes her Russian is her Russian superstitions. I, the idea, so I liked the way superstitions were brought into it. That said, it reminded me a little bit of a book report and less about her actual feelings or her actual superstitions. Mm-hmm. She would sort of be like, well, in Russia, you would have to make sure that bouquet had an odd number of flowers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Instead of, oh my gosh, can you please make sure that has an odd number of flowers? I don't want to get bad luck or whatever. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So just a, a slight, for me, it was more of a, she was imparting information to you rather than it being a part of her character. I definitely see that. Yeah. Um, there was another part. She was like, FYI, you know, she didn't say FYI, but they were talking about languages. And she said, did you know in Russia, we actually have four words for blizzard. <laughs> One is from what is this and it means this kind of blizzard what is this and then she goes one is from Siberia and I was like wait a minute <laughs> like okay you know I it totally made sense that she could speak French like perfectly totally right. makes sense that she can speak Russian perfectly but really she knows a dialect from Siberia right like no, I didn't question her incredible excellence in French or her proficiency in English the right. only moment I thought her English was disingenuous. So the night she's masquerading as a prostitute in the brothel, she puts mm-hmm. on like a perfect cockney. Mm-hmm. That was the only moment. Was like it was presented through the whole book that she spoke English with a slight Russian French accent. Right. Totally legit. Like a Russian princess absolutely would have been bilingual from birth and probably was nearly native in French. And yeah. picked up English as a third language. I was totally fine with her being a like having very good English with a slight accent. Like Absolutely. you have to be not just fantastic at a language, but like truly native to drop into different dialects like that. Yeah. <laughs> I Lane, I feel like this is a common complaint from us when people speak other languages. I think we're just we try, we both speak other languages and we try so hard to do it well. And it's like not easy. And then, you know, you read about it in the book and you're like, ah, hey, well, and, you know, and I think the other thing there, so to use a Russian metaphor, there was a, the Chekhov's gun, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. She gets this, she feels unprepared, unprotected, like she can't protect herself. And so she gets this sleeping potion from uh, Seb. Morally dubious use by Seb, by the way. Absolutely. Actually, I put it in in offensiveness slash content warning. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so she gets the sleeping potion and you think she's going to save herself with the sleeping potion, right? But she doesn't. She has to be rescued by the men. So I was I was just disappointed about that, you know? Like, I, there was a little bit of condescension, I felt like, from the author. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean, I, I feel like the text didn't do enough to explicitly remedy this, is what I should say. Mm-hmm. But it's presented like, her idea would have failed and in fact backfired and was not necessary at all. Right. And then he thinks like, look at my little woman trying so hard to protect herself. She's a fighter. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think it wouldn't have been hard to just present it slightly differently. Present it differently. I, I honestly, Lane, was kind of excited about the idea of him rushing up to save the day throwing open the door to where she's being held captive only to find her just sitting there like tapping her foot. Like, when were you going to get here? You know, I put him to sleep. You know what I mean? I would have really liked that. What she did having any bearing. Yes. Like making it clear her captor was somewhat incapacitated by her machinations. Right. Rather than having it feel like literally totally useless. Totally useless. And in fact, um, harmful as it turns out Mm -hmm. anyway any okay so i just had a couple of like consistency questions and this may be because i'm less familiar with russian history Mm -hmm. but first of all they refer to her several times as princess denisova Mm -hmm. and my understanding is that when you're a princess by virtue of descent from the czar or the king or any of that your princess your first name that you only take the last name or the first and last name of your spouse when you're married in or if you're an heir to a territory rather than to the imperial crown so the fact well, that she's heir to the imperial crown she should have been princess anastasia which lol we know not Princess Denisova, or am I just conflating my Russian imperial knowledge with my general European knowledge? No, that's, I mean, that's the issue, is if she were a princess, if she were not a royal princess, then Princess Denisova makes sense. That's how it is, right? Mm -hmm. But if she's a princess by virtue of her relationship with the throne, then she should be Princess Anastasia. Also, want to point out, I really do feel like the author seriously underestimated the value of diamonds. <laughs> yeah. So she talks about her tiara being Koshnik style and having hundreds of diamonds in it. So basically, just so so our listeners can picture this, a Koshnik was like a traditional Russian fabric headdress that was sort of like a really elevated headband around your whole head. And it was like a wall of diamonds. And I get that hers was sort of described as a hybrid with more intricate patterning, not just like literally the wall of diamonds itself. But 
when you consider, so I Googled what the average wage in the 1800s was, so sue me. And by the end of the 1800s, which is a little later than this book took place, it was roughly a dollar a day. Mm-hmm. Even back then, tiaras were thousands of dollars. And yes, I understand right. some of that is worksmanship, not just the cost, cost of materials. But if you figure this is like an imperial tiara with hundreds of jewels of impeccable quality there is no way they're running low after only a year (laughs) i'm not saying i don't get the need to like kind of scrimp but the idea that the only lodging they could find was next to a literal brothel yeah that she's wearing the same gowns that she had as a princess that she didn't go buy like rags to help her fit in better right i'm just saying like I'm not I'm not trying to justify that she should have had a house in Mayfair or anything like that. But the idea that in the incredibly limited circumstances they were living in, she'd be running out of money after a year. I find so unbelievable, especially because in the text she mentioned, she wrote her solicitor and was like, taking a shore of Europe. Don't know when I'll be back. I'm not dead. Don't give away my stuff, which they say in the text she did. Like, how hard is it at that point to be like, um, Please wire my money to Belgium and send Elizaveta over. Yeah. Like by maintaining that relationship with her banker, in theory, that means she could have had access to her funds. And I get not wanting her banker to be like, and send it to this address where I'm currently living. Let all the baddies find me. Okay, bye. But either you're so afraid that you like will not let your bankers know where you are at all, which clearly wasn't the case because she was writing to them. Or, like, you come up with a creative way to get your money through backdoor channels. Like, even if you have to pay exorbitant fees and, like, middlemen, there's yeah. no... I, I did not understand why she was living in the poverty she was. Next point. Yeah. His last name is Wolf, which she says is from his Italian mother, and he started adopting it as an nephew to his father. One, I don't think that's allowed. And yeah. two, is Wolf even an Italian name? <laughs> Oh my gosh. I yeah, it's funny. I was I was like I, I read that and I was like maybe it's from the part of Italy that's near Germany. <laughs> Once again. Or near Switzerland, you know. I I was like is it maybe Swiss Italian? <laughs> but it struck me as well. So anyway, little things that like ultimately don't matter like this is a romance novel he's half italian his last name's wolf whatever like she's a poor aristocrat in england whatever but i feel like it's those little details that i that really stuck out to me it's like i was reading looking for nitpicks but it took me out of the story i was like wait what well and i i think that's the thing too is that this was a this was well written this was a fun book but there were just these little things that we were like, wait a minute, you know, that it, it, it wasn't elevated. God, now I sound like I sound like <laughs> I'm talking about some food or something with Gordon Ramsay, you know, like it's just not like elevated. We're all, like a man Booker Prize review board. Yes, <laughs> it wasn't paradigm shifting. <laughs> like little, another just little thing. So as we mentioned, they meet in a brothel. And through his internal monologue, when he's thinking of going to Hayes, which is the name of the brothel throughout the rest of the book, he mentally refers to all of the the girls in the brothel as whores. Right. 
And it's just those little like dialect changes that this book is supposed to be so progressive and thought in some ways about this princess mixing with these working class women who are engaging in sex work that Mm -hmm. then the dismissive use of horrors that's never really questioned throughout the rest of the text really stuck out. Right. Stuck out. I don't know what stuck out means. I just went with it. It stuck out. (laughs) But. And then I know you, so both of us were a little bit confused about why she hid the fact that she was a princess from him. Well, and then why he reacted so violently to it. Right. And I mean, I guess it's supposed to be that he had, he was thinking about forming a life with her and then it, he felt like actually she was lying and slumming the whole time and there really was no future. But at the same time, I was like, that's just kind of, definitely goes back to the trope where I'm not good enough for her, you know? Well, and he knew she was hiding something. Right. He, even to himself in his internal monologue that the reader is privy to, thinks about how elevated her dialect is and how overeducated she seems. And, like, things that sort of hint at, dude, she's a princess. (laughs) Right. So him responding the way he did as if it came out of left field really bothered me. Like, if they'd expressed it as he was upset at being lied to, I think I could have gotten that. He was like, you tricked me. It's like, I mean, she really didn't. Like, you knew something was up the whole time. Dude, he is, he's a, he's a Bow Street runner. He's an investigator, you know? Right. (laughs) Like, that's the thing, too. Uh, anyway, I also find it really hard to believe this is just more macro that someone tenth in line to the throne could just sort of like disappear and the rest of the like world's aristocrats didn't know. Right. Like right. Russia is not some backward country. If like the tenth in line to the throne disappeared under mysterious circumstances in Paris right after Waterloo, like come on, anesthesia, the real anesthesia was killed in a bunker and we still managed mm-hmm. to have like imposters for the next hundred years and there's movies yes. about it. Like I find it really hard to believe this Anastasia could disappear in the rest of the world. One, she could leave a suicide note. Two, write to her solicitor, I'm still alive and traveling, BRB. Yeah. And not have that become like an international mystery. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So did anything offend you or were there any trigger warnings or content warnings in this book? Well, we've mentioned it. Prostitution. She is teaching the prostitutes next door how to read. She's very close friends with the most generous madam in the entire world. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's in there. I don't think it's particularly offensive. No, but content warning for sex work. Right. Um, Elaine mentioned this. She is sexually assaulted in the first chapter and also physically assaulted. Uh, and then when she's recaptured, she's, there's more physical abuse. It's great. Mm-hmm. And then we mentioned that she got a sleeping potion that Seb gave her. How does Seb use his sleeping potion, Lane? 
<laughs> he just drugs his patrons that get too drunk so they pass out. He's like, oh no, these two young bucks are going to have a fight. I'm going to give them a, a round of, you know, whatever, brandy on the house. And then when they drink it, there's a sleeping potion in it. And they're like, oh, take them home. They can sleep it off. <laughs> okay. Also, they make a point of saying that when this happens, it's only like 9 p.m. Yeah. Like, this isn't the moral ambiguity of him drugging his guests secondary. These people are so wasted at nine, you drug them and carry them out? Like, people on the street would notice. That's not subtle at nine o'clock. It's not like two in the morning. <laughs> it's just really intense. Uh, I I was reading a different book where they, they were giving someone a sleeping potion, and there was, like, this huge, this huge emphasis about how any drug that you can give someone that that makes you go to sleep is very dangerous, you know? <laughs> like you'd think you you would think and just the fact that he just sort of gives it to people without them knowing. <sighs> anyway, well, drugging, like, we've talked listeners. about this. This is more than our listeners need to know about me, but I'm like an asthmatic with a billion allergies, mostly to plants and stuff. Mhm. So like I don't know. If someone put aloe on a sunburn while I was asleep, I'd break out in hives and might need to go to the hospital. Right. Like, I can't believe that slipping, like, a plant-based narcoleptic drug into people's drinks had never come back to bite him in the ass. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and we've talked about this several times, but, like, drugging people <laughs> without their consent is never okay. <laughs> So I just I love because he goes on this big rant about how like cheating doesn't happen in his club and he doesn't need to cheat as the house and he's employs the best people to identify cheaters and it's like right. that moral high ground is somewhat compromised by the fact that you're drugging your patron. <laughs> but yeah, it's just it was it I put it under offensiveness, but honestly, I was I was flabbergasted and then I did I did laugh I did laugh I have to admit. <laughs> Next note actually says, I am never going to that gaming hell. And it's like, good, because it's fictional. Yeah, but I mean, if I found out there was a bar that was just drugging people and they got too drunk, I would not go there. Correct. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So did you find this book sexy? I, you know, the sexual encounters are hot in and of themselves, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. what, what, did you think so? I found them pretty sexy. They were pretty sexy. And I think, honestly, for all the other themes in this book, they were very consent-driven, which I really liked. I agree. I agree with that. Because mm -hmm. there, there could have been issues with that. And I, I did like the proposal, actually. I liked it a lot. <laughs> I know you would. Because you're easy. I like that. <laughs> I am easy like that. What can I say? But it happened after sex, right? That's yeah. why I'm connecting them in my head. Okay. Because I was like, wait, why am I talking about the proposal? Oh, because it was post, post-coital proposal. So I thought it was very sexy. I thought uh, she was a virgin and the way it was handled in text was more like, shit, I was the first person to have sex with a princess, not like anything about her moral character, which I enjoyed. Yeah. But... The first thing this virgin does is blow him. 
Yes. <laughs> and yes, yes, he's like constraining and the author does a really good job of sort of making it clear that she feels empowered by it. It's, it's oh God, the book we just reviewed on Sunday where the person made a big deal about like she has all this knowledge of sex, but she's a virgin. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, the room. Yes. So that's like, I always find that to be like sort of uncomfortable thematically. Yeah. And this sort of takes it to the next level because not only is their first sexual encounter starting with him not knowing she's a virgin and her blowing him, their second one is like, she's face down on the desk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that one, this book was a little emotionally weird for me. And I'm sorry to bring up her brother in this discussion of sex, but like. <laughs> Sorry. There's yes. this like big revelation about her brother and who he was as a person that like she doesn't sit with it all in the end. Right. Like she doesn't need time to process it apparently. <laughs> right. And then they immediately not just make up, but like get into some not at all. Like I, I don't know. It's like it's not lovemaking, would be the way to put it, right? It's very like I need you right this second. Anyway, you can have it spinning around all over the desk, papers flying. I'm not saying that can't be hot, but like I think in general, the sex in this book was objectively hot, but didn't match the emotional tone of the moments in which it was happening. Yeah, yeah. I think I I agree. I think that's my feeling on it. But the the sexies themselves were very sexy. Also, there's one point where he talks about how he usually, like, hand jobs as a prelude to full sex. (laughs) And literally reading the the phrase full sex killed me and took me totally out of the moment. I don't know why. Like, look, I recognize. My friends and I bought these books in high school and highlighted the dirty parts. I get how funny some of the turns of phrase can be out of context. But the phrase full sex just murdered me. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh it it didn't even strike me <laughs> Meg all in all what did you think I would say this is honestly it's a very fun book if you like historical romance novels and think an imperial Russian take would be like a fun change of pace check this book out like yeah. is it my favorite romance novel of 2021 mm-hmm. probably not is it very readable yeah Oh, it's it's definitely readable. Definitely readable. Check it out if any of what we talked about sounds interesting. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and check us out on Instagram and Goodreads.